the Dark Side. I'm Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. I do know that what that means. Does do other people know what that means? I mean, I feel like yeah, the people who have been here since numero uno are like the hell yeah, I know what this means. But maybe other people are confused because my schedule has been so fucked up. I'm always like, the past few episodes, I'm like, okay, next week we'll see you for this, and it's not that. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> next week I'm doing Tim Bosma, and I'm not because it's episode 60. Yeah, that was a fucking lie. Yeah, and episode 60 <laughs> is Tyson. It's uh, just me, I folks. Try, I was trying to think of a word for like, the next installment of 20s because it's every 20th episode that you do it. And I was like, I don't even know how to say that. Bring out the flapper girls. It's the 20s. <laughs> because you're here for 20 well you're here for all the episodes but i mean you did episode 20 you did episode 40 and now it's episode 60 so you get to do it yeah it's the producer's episode yeah yeah and And you know what's great about that Mm -hmm. like i have to have zero consistency no one can tell me no i'm the producer i don't have to pick a lane okay well first of all we're a team but and also i wouldn't tell you no unless you came to me and was like okay hear me out and you said something heinous or foul Oh. But for the most part, I'm like, it's your episode. Do what you want to do. So I'm going to have to change what I'm doing. Because <laughs> <laughs> hear me out. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. I know what you're doing to an extent. But um, I, I think I'll just turn it over to you. Yeah, turn it over to me. Because it's your episode. and Turn it over. Turn it over. Wrap it up. <clears throat> Thank you. It's just us now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got something great for you guys today because we're going to try something a little new. You know, we've got Brianna who's pretty much got all the bases covered. She does uh, spooky stuff. She does uh, like haunted, haunted places. She does true crime stories that you've probably never heard of. Or if you do hear about it, she does it in a way that you learn stuff new. You've got Paige who does uh, the cryptid stuff. And, uh... That left me going, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> Can't just keep milking this alien thing over and over again. And you know what? I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'm not milking the alien thing. I almost did, but I didn't. You didn't milk the alien No. Thing? I didn't milk it. Aww. They didn't milk me either. So. <laughs> you don't know that. I don't know that. <laughs> That's the fun of it. You don't know. Okay, what did you milk? Sorry, I went somewhere else for a minute. It's okay. I'll hypnotize you later and we'll get all the details out of it. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do an audio production today. Yeah, I got a little little spooky story for you. It's a a story I heard from a friend of a friend of mine who (laughs) has a friend who lived in the town where this took place for reals. Okay, sick. Yeah. Why are you looking at me like that? Because you know what I'm going to say? Hit it! 
David drove through the entrance of the park and past the old sign. A thick coating of dust clung to the rusted metal sheet. Welcome to Blackwood. It read in large retroflective letters. He passed the visitor's center, where he usually checks in before the beginning of his rounds. Today, he didn't stop. The weather had been harsh the night before, and he knew no amount of pleasantries could take precedent over the potential mess that awaited him deep in those woods. He had been doing his rounds of the park for six months now, and knew every inch of it, like the back of his hand. He had grown to love the peace and tranquility of the park that it provided, and it helped him to forget about the events of the past year. He relished in the chance to take care of something again. As he drove his pickup truck through the winding road that led to the campground, he noticed an unusual silence. There was no campers. There were no sounds of laughter or chatter, just the sounds of the wind rustling through the leaves. The emptiness of the place didn't surprise him. It was still early in the season, and most had packed up before the storm. But there was something about the stillness that made him feel uneasy, and the contrast of the night before settled heavy in his soul. Making his way around the bend, David didn't see the child at first. Despite the light-up shoes that sparked with each step as he traced along the dirt road and towards the brush on the opposite end of the stretch, his mom trailed behind him, screaming, Dylan! Dylan! Enough to kick David out of his stupor. The woman raced from the clearing up ahead, and then he saw the kid. There's only so much traction a tire can get in the mud like this. It caked the tread of the tires as the truck jettisoned towards a terminal trajectory. Dylan! The mom screamed. You son of a bitch, David mumbled, white-knuckling the steering wheel. The boy didn't even glance in David's direction as the truck began to veer, passing the mother and drifting closer with each step. David braced as the impact rocked his body against the driver's door, and stillness took over again. Chapter 1. The Pendant David spilled from the driver's side door and into the shallow bank of the runoff ditch that cradled his truck at the side of the road. He could see the whirling flash of the boy's pant legs now splashed with mud as he ran deeper into the brush. David took off after him. The ranger called out, but the boy kept running. He knew he had to catch him before he got too far. The trees seemed to blur together as David ran, his heart pounding in his chest. He heard the sound of the boy's footsteps ahead of him, and he pushed himself to go faster. Suddenly, he saw the boy stop ahead, as though someone had managed to finally capture his attention, and then, just as quickly veering to the west, towards a rocky lip on the horizon. David's heart skipped a beat. He ran faster, closing the distance between himself and the boy, and just as the boy reached the outcrop, David lunged forward and clasped onto his arm, pulling him back with not a moment to spare. The boy stumbled away from the edge, his eyes wide and distant. David caught his breath, looking down at the rocky drop below. It was a long way down, and he knew that if the boy had gone over that edge, it would be a recovery, not a rescue. You okay? David asked, his voice wavering from the adrenaline coursing through his body. The boy nodded, still glaring over the edge. 
He turned to see the expanse of nothing that had captivated the boy and wondered what had possessed the boy to run like that, straight toward a cliff of all things. After a brief moment, David crouched down, looking into the boy's face. Kid, the man said. You freak me the fuck out. As they walked back to the road, David couldn't shake the feeling that something was not right in the park. David opened the door to his truck and turned for one last look. The boy stared intently towards the cliffside as his mother carried him off. Bye-bye, Grandpa, the boy shouted over his mother's shoulder, waving with one free arm. Bye-bye. A full afternoon had passed before the ranger happened upon the campsite, and the sun hung low in the sky. Clothes lay scattered about, on the ground, in the brush, lapping along the shore. Food containers were strewn across the land, and the tent laid level in ruin, like it had been torn apart. David wondered what had happened here. Had the campers left in a hurry? As he looked around, he noticed no one around, no sign of anyone coming back. David began to clean around the campsite. He picked up clothes and put them in a pile, gathered the food containers and tossed them in the trash bin. He then turned his attention to the tent. As he approached it, he saw that there was a large tear in its side. It looked as if someone had sliced through it with a knife. David shuddered at the thought of what could have caused such damage. He inspected the tear to see if the blade cut from the inside. He had heard it's possible to tell if you could look closely at the frayed edges. Well, that's bullshit, he muttered, not able to determine anything. About finished, David noticed a small metallic object, glinting in the dying light. The golden hour cast a warm glow over the grounds. On closer inspection, he found a pendant hanging from a low branch. As he picked it up, he felt a sense of familiarity. He patted at his shirt to be sure it still hung around his neck. To his amazement, the pendant was there, and yet, here, an exact replica. He let it dance along his fingers, inspecting it carefully before placing it in his pocket. There was a silence now. David looked along the tree line. When did the birds stop singing? Chapter 2 A Ghost from the Past A deep unease persisted throughout the night and into the morning. As he parked his truck, he noticed an old man sitting on the bench outside the center. The man looked up at David as he approached and smiled. The warm sun shone down on the park, casting dappled shadows on the ground. The sound of leaves rustling in the wind filled the air. Beautiful day, isn't it? The man said. David nodded, returning the smile. Can I help you with something, sir? He asked. David had seen the man a number of times since his transfer. He had heard from the other rangers that the old man had been walking the trails long before their time, though with his wife back then. When she passed, he continued their early morning treks along the trails, 
Since then, he'd been a frequent, though silent, sight at the park. But now, it appeared the old man had something to say. Henry went on to describe an encounter he had on one of the trails. He was walking alone, lost in thought, when he happened upon a young woman resting on a bench. The dappled light shone down on her, illuminating her features in a surreal way. She seemed familiar, but he couldn't place her. She beckoned him to sit next to her, to rest, to stay a while and keep her company. He did, and it all struck the old man as oddly familiar. She spoke in a way that soothed his soul and made him feel less alone. She explained that she was looking for her dog, a long-haired Yorkshire terrier, that had managed to slip off its leash and disappear into the thick of the brush beyond the trail. They continued to chat, and it struck the old man how calm and soothing her company was, despite the circumstances. Most would be frantic, but she was collected, graceful even. The scent of pine and wildflowers filled the air around them. As some time passed, the old man said he must go, and the woman pleaded for him to stay, as she had such a wonderful time. It was so nice to have someone to talk to like this, he thought. David listened to this story, intrigued but not sure what to make of it. He promised to keep an eye out for the lost dog, but the old man quickly protested. That's not it, he interjected. There, there's no dog. He reached into his pocket and handed David an old black and white picture. A faded portrait of a young woman, sitting dignified and smiling, posing for the camera as the Yorkshire Terrier rested in her lap. The old man leaned in. My wife. A picture taken decades ago during her postgrad. He paused. I found it in an old scrapbook. It was taken just before we met. His eyes lit up with excitement. Do you know what I'm saying? David couldn't help but feel a chill run down his spine as he looked at this picture. It's a miracle, son. A bona fide, genuine miracle. Right here in our park. Over the next few days, David heard more and more reports of strange encounters in the woods. Park visitors claimed to have seen figures in the distance, glimpses of loved ones who had passed away. David believed none of it. But as he patrolled the park, he could not deny that the park had taken on a new and imposing form. The sound of twigs snapping behind him, the rustling, of leaves in the nearby brush, and the sudden moments of oppressive silence when even the birds ceased their singing. Though the ranger traversed the wilderness with practiced steps, an inescapable sensation clung to him like a shadow, the unnerving whisper that he was being relentlessly pursued by an unseen presence. The trees around him were tall and imposing, casting long shadows across the forest floor. The occasional beam of sunlight filtered through the branches, illuminating patches of moss and fern that covered the ground. The scent of pine and damp earth mingled in the air, making David feel as though he were part of the woods themselves. Every now and then, he thought he saw a movement out of the corner of his eye. But when he turned to look, there was nothing there. He paused for a moment, taking a deep breath and closing his eyes, he listened to the sound of the wind in the trees and the gentle trickle 
of a nearby stream. He sought peace and calm for a moment and to forget the strange occurrence in the park. But he continued his patrol. The feeling of unease persisted. He walked deeper into the woods, his eyes scanning the trees and underbrush for any signs of movement. He thought he heard footsteps behind him, but when he turned, again, there was no one there. As the day wore on, David began to feel as though he were being drawn deeper into the woods. He followed a winding path that led him further away from the visitor center and deeper into the forest. The trees grew thicker and the underbrush grew taller, making it difficult to see more than a few feet ahead. Then he saw something out of the corner of his eye, a figure standing among the trees. David's heart raced as he stepped forward, trying to get a better look. But as he approached, the figure vanished, leaving nothing but the sound of rustling leaves in its wake. David stood there for a moment, unsure of what he had just seen. Had it been one of the reported apparitions, or just a trick of the light? He shook his head, trying to clear his thoughts, and continued on his patrol. As the sun began to set, David started to make his way back once more to the visitor center, but the woods grew quiet again, and he was beginning to fear the silence. Not unease, but a deep, chilled fear that permeated from the very core. He felt pursued, tracked. He quickened his pace, his hands resting on the handle of his radio. Then he saw it again, a figure standing among the trees but this time it didn't disappear. It stood there, watching him. David froze, unsure of what to do. He called out, asking who was there, but there was no response. The figure remained silent, watching him with unblinking eyes. David took a step forward, and then another. He could just about make out a face. As he approached, the figure began to fade disappearing into the trees. David stood there for a moment, catching his breath. He knew what he had seen, but he couldn't explain it. He made his way out of the woods, his mind racing. Chapter 3 The Broadcast Ladies and gentlemen, I beseech you, gather round and listen closely, for I am Reverend Jeremiah, and I bring with me a message. The time has come, my fellow believers, to heed the divine warning of the Almighty. The skies have turned dark, and the grounds tremble beneath our feet. Blackwood National Park, our once peaceful heaven, now teems with the restless spirits of our dearly departed. 
Oh, hallelujah. The end is nigh, my brothers and sisters, and we are witnessing the unmistakable signs of wrath of God upon this sinful world. As the Lord rained down fire and brimstone upon the wicked cities of Sodom, so too shall he unleash holy, holy fire and fury upon those who defy his commandments. Listen as I tell you of the ghostly apparitions that walk among us, of the spirits of the deceased beckoning from the shadows of Blackwood Park. The veil between this world and the next has been lifted, and we tremble in awe in the hairbringers of the impending apocalypse. Oh, how we must repent, my fellow believers, for the day of reckoning is at hand. The Lord has sent us a divine message, a dire warning to turn from our wicked ways and seek his face while there is still time. Let us cast off the shackles of sin and clothe ourselves in the armor of God, for we stand on the very precipice of eternity. Do you not feel it, the oppressive weight of impending doom as the spirits of the dead call unto us from beyond the grave. Oh, my brothers and sisters, we are living in the final days and the end times prophesied in the holy scriptures. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are saddling their steeds and the antichrist is preparing to rise. Woe unto the unbelievers for the fire of judgment shall consume them. But fear not, my faithful, for there is still hope. We must fall onto our knees and cry out to the Lord for mercy, for only through his divine grace can we be saved from the terrible fate that awaits us. So let us lift our voice in prayer, and let us don the sackcloth and ashes of repentance, for the time is short and the judgment of God is at hand. This is Reverend Jeremiah, your faithful servant and herald of the end times signing off. May the peace of the Lord be with you now until the end of days. Chapter four, the path less traveled. As the sun dipped below the horizon, painting the sky in hues of crimson and gold, the town of Blackwood stirred with anticipation. Word of Reverend Jeremiah's fiery broadcast had spread like wildfire, igniting the hearts and minds of the townspeople. A fervent mix of fear, excitement, and curiosity gripped them all as they were drawn, almost as if by an invisible force, to the epicenter of the supernatural phenomenon of Blackwood National Park. The entrance of the park teemed with activity. A diverse congregation of people gathered, their motivations as varied as the color of the setting sun. On one side stood a group of religious fanatics, their faces a mixture of determination and zeal. They clutched their Bibles, ready to spread the word of God and beseech their fellow townspeople to repent before the impending doom that Reverend Jeremiah had so passionately foretold. 
they feverly preached, their voices loud and commanding, Repent! The end is near! Save your souls and seek forgiveness from the Almighty! Their prayers rang out, a chorus of desperation, as they sought to cleanse themselves and their town of sin. Meanwhile, on the other side, a more somber group of people had come to the park, their hearts heavy with loss and longing, but their faces yearning for a new hope. These were the people who had lost someone dear to them, parents, spouses, children, and they clung to the hope that they too might catch a glimpse of their loved ones beyond the veil. Their voices were softer, whispers carried it by the wind as they called out the names of their dearly departed. John, is that you? Oh, Mary, please, let me see you one more time. The trails echoed with a symphony of grief and longing. At the entrance of the park, where the two factions met, the atmosphere was electric, charged with tension of two opposing forces. At times, the air was filled with sounds of heated argument, the religious fanatics imploring the mourners to turn away from their sorrow and focus on repentance. You must not dabble in the supernatural. Save your souls before it's too late. But through it all, the mourners continued their quest undeterred by the impassioned pleas of the devout. And so, Blackwood became a swirling vortex of emotion, a living testament to inalienable grip of faith, hope, and loss. As the sun finally disappeared beyond the horizon, plunging the park into darkness, the townspeople continued their vigils. Some, in their desperation, remained wandering the trails, even after darkness fell. Then the screaming started, and among the screams, one stood out, calling, no, beckoning for David to cross into the curtained void of the tree line. Chapter 5 On Air The screams haunted his dreams, but it was her scream that truly struck fear into his heart. He knew the park better than anyone, but even he couldn't chase the howling cries in the blinding veil of the night, and he feared the worst for the people who had ventured into the woods. The following morning, as the first light of dawn broke, his fears were confirmed. He gathered a small group of townspeople intent on searching for those who had ventured on to the trails and failed to return. Among the missing was the old man who'd spoken to not long ago. As David led the search party into the depths of Blackwood, he couldn't shake the feeling of an ease that was setting in his chest. The woods seemed to be pulsing with an energy that he had never felt before, a strange mix of fear, sorrow, and something darker still. The search party trudged through the underbrush, scanning the landscape for any sign of the missing townspeople. David's radio crackled to life with interference. The 
Ghostly apparitions in Blackwood Park have ensnared the hearts of our fellow townspeople, leading them astray. They have vanished, taken by the very forces they sought to understand. This is a stern warning from the Almighty himself. Our fascinations with the supernatural has blinded us, drawing us away from our true faith. We must remember the first commandment and cast aside our obsession with these otherworldly beings. But not fear, my faithful flock, there is still hope for those who walk the path of righteousness. Repent and turn your hearts to the Lord, for the path to salvation is narrow and few will find it. Heed my warning, people of Blackwood, the time is short and the hour of reckoning is at hand. Surrender yourselves, for he alone can save us from the terrible fate that awaits. This is Reverend Jeremiah signing off. May the peace of the Lord be with you now and forever. Hours passed, and the search party grew more and more desperate. As they delved deeper into the heart of the park, the group stumbled upon a small clearing. At its center stood a gnarled old oak tree, its branches reaching out like twisted fingers. David felt a chill race down his spine as he approached the tree. There, slumped against its base, were the missing townspeople, their faces pale and their eyes wide with terror. Among them was Henry clutching a faded photograph of his wife in the trembling hands. As David knelt beside him, the old man looked up, his eyes clouded with tears. I saw her again, he whispered hoarsely. She was there, but something was wrong. It wasn't her, not really. It was something darker. As the search party tended to the traumatized group, David couldn't help but feel a growing sense of dread. What had they encountered here? What forces have driven them to such a terror? David's radio sprung to life again through the static, the broadcast once more. Brothers and sisters, our town of Blackwood has faced trials and tribulations, but it's time to unite and demonstrate our faith in a true high power. We must remember that our strength lies in our devotion to the Lord. We cannot allow these false spirits to lead us astray. I implore each and every one of you to join me in the heart of Blackwood for a twilight sermon, a gathering of the faithful to renew our commitment to God and to pray for his divine protection. Together, we will stand firm against the darkness and reclaim our beloved park in the name of the Lord. Let us come together as one united in our faith to face the unknown with courage and conviction. Let us raise our voices in prayer and song, praising the Almighty and seeking His guidance. Bring your family, bring your friends, bring your neighbors, 
For when two or more are gathered in his name, the Lord is with us. The twisted trails stretched out before them, gnarled and sprawling like the limbs of the trees that loomed overhead. As David led the survivors through the forest, he could feel the oppressive atmosphere bearing down on them, and the darkness seemed to be a living thing, slithering and crawling in the corners of their vision. It was as if the forest itself was aware, unwilling to let them leave. The paths made little sense to the ranger. The trail out became the path deeper still into the park. What would be off trails that once led to the main trail became dead ends or winding paths that hopelessly fed back into themselves. And with every turn, the group became one fewer. With each disappearance, the remaining group members became more frantic their nerves frayed like a rope on the edge of snapping. They pressed on, but their hope began to wane, like the last ember of a dying fire. One by one, the survivors vanished soundlessly. Eventually, all who was left was David and the intermittent voice of his radio calling out to the townspeople, gording them into the maze in which he stood trapped. As he continued, alone, along the trail, the signal grew stronger. The infrequent interjections that cut into his radio channel was now unyielding, but the broadcast was becoming something more than the preaching he had heard before. It started as a low ramble, like voices in the background, but it grew louder and louder, and soon the ranger's radio was a steady stream of wailing voices that washed over the preacher's sermon. He recognized some of them, the old man, members of his own search party. And then he heard it. He could find that voice out of a crowded room. Her voice, wailing and desperate, pleading with David to follow the path she would guide him along. Torn between fear and the powerful longing to see his wife again, David hesitated for a moment before obeying the voice on the radio. The path led him deeper into the forest, where the shadows grew thicker and the air heavier. After following her voice for some time, David found himself standing before a dilapidated, abandoned radio station. Its rusted antenna and crumbling walls looked out of place in the heart of the woods, and an ominous feeling settled in the pit of David's stomach. He glanced up at the building, and for a brief moment, he saw a shadowy figure in the window. It was impossible to make out any features, but it moved and vanished from view, leaving David with a growing sense of unease. The voice on the radio called to him once more, beckoning him, to enter the decaying structure. I'm here, David, her voice whispered. Come, see me, please, I miss you. Despite the fear gnawing at the edges of his mind, David couldn't resist the pull of the voice, and he stepped inside the station. As he moved deeper into the building, the voice led him down a dimly lit hallway. 
the air inside was musty and cold, as if the building itself were inhaling the surrounding darkness. The floorboards creaked beneath his feet, and the walls seemed to close in around him, leaving him feel trapped and claustrophobic. At the end of the hallway, David found himself confronted by the figure. At first, it seemed to be her, a familiar face, her eyes full of love and longing, but as he stared at the apparition, it began to change. Her features distorted, twisting and contorting into a terrifying visage. Her once warm and loving eyes became cold and malicious. Her smile turned into a grotesque grin that sent shivers down David's spine. When he heard the voice, he followed it out of hope, but hope is a two-sided coin. Innately, we toss the coin against what we cannot know and latch onto the notion that fate will land in our favor. But not now. The reality hit him like a thunderbolt. This was not his wife, and it never was. As the disfigured spirit advanced on David, he found himself unable to move, paralyzed by the horror before him. It let out a horrifying screech that pierced his very soul. The sound was a horrifying, unholy cacophony of agony and despair, a chorus of tormented souls crying out from beyond the grave. David felt his courage faltering as the spirit drew closer, its twisted faces inches from his own, its cold breath like icy tendrils crawling down his spine. All he could do was close his eyes, clasping the pendant around his neck. He heard the sound of the radio broadcast again, although this time it was not emitting from his radio, but instead from a room down the hall. When he opened his eyes, the ghost had vanished. His heart pounding, David followed the disembodied voices, his footsteps echoing in the dimly lit corridor. The walls seemed to breathe with an ominous presence, their very essence saturated with the darkness that had ensnared the town. Despite the fear that threatened to consume him, he passed on drawn by the relentless call of the radio broadcast. As he entered the recording room, he found old recording equipment caked in dust, speakers on the wall playing the sinister message, and yet there was no one in the room, no host, just the station and this empty room. As the dials and knobs danced along to the preacher's sermon, a bright red light on air flickered in the corner. The disembodied voice was addressing him now. It urged David to give in, to let go of his loss and pain and join the spirits. It implored him to no longer suffer the earthly toils of heartache, but to cross over and find solace in the Almighty. The voice was enticing, a siren call that beckoned him to embrace the darkness and abandon the life he had known. David opened the locket around his neck, his gaze meeting the picture of his wife. Her eyes seemed to bore into his soul, reminding him of the love they had shared and the life that had been stolen from them. He whispered loving words to her and a final goodbye, then snapped the locket shut. 
With a deep breath, David began to destroy the equipment, each swing of his arm fueled by a cocktail of grief and determination. As the machinery crumbled beneath his blows, the walls of the radio station began to buckle and shudder. The ground trembled beneath his feet, and dust filled the air. David understood that if he were to destroy the equipment to end the broadcast, he too would be caught in the crumbling building. A strange calm washed over him as he made his decision, the weight of his sacrifice settling upon his shoulders. He knew that in doing this, he would finally be free of his heartache. He grasped the mic before him and hurled it at the wall shattering the flickering red light. As the walls collapsed around him, David felt an odd sense of peace. The radio station disintegrated with it, the malevolent force that had tormented the town of Blackwood crumbled. When the sun finally rose over Blackwood, the townspeople searched for any sign of David, but they never did find him. Some say that late at night in Blackwood, if you scan through the channels on your radio, you can still hear David's voice, forever trapped within the airwaves, broadcasting his solemn warning across the park. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, you can hear another voice, a woman's voice. And at those times, their voices sound almost happy. So that was my story. I loved it. Thank you. I got right comfy here on the couch. I just curled up like a little egg and I just was transported. Oh, cool. It's good. It's a very good story. Good. And I know that as you were writing it, you didn't like, you did not really tell me anything about what you were writing, but there's a couple times when you're like, you know, I just had to figure out how to end it. And mm -hmm. I think that was the perfect ending. Thank you. And yeah, I just liked it. I liked your storytelling. I liked that you didn't like completely explain everything. Like mm -hmm. we're all dumb and can't take away meaning. Like you know, <laughs> M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I don't mind him, but sometimes I'm like, listen, we're not all idiots. I mean, I am an idiot, but not all the time. <laughs> I was taking notes as you're um, reading, mm -hmm. and. 
like, do you care if we just talk about your story for a second? Sure. You son of a bitch, Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did you pick up on that? I was not ready for that. Yeah. That was funny. Uh, I couldn't help it. There was a a couple times. I mean, it's probably going to get cut it. But when you were saying, like, he showed the photo and he's like, my wife. Of course I had to interrupt. Yeah. And my wife. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that in just for that. And yeah, we'll probably cut it, but it's there. (laughs) Um, What else did I write down? Oh, I wrote, Dylan was playing with slash chasing his grandpa, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And as soon as, because when you're like saying like, oh, but like, bye, grandpa, bye bye. I was like, I don't think David is that old that he would like confuse it. Mm-mm. He was looking like, over the cliff waving to grandpa. Ew. Yeah. That's so creepy. Yeah, I know. It's like, like mimics or like little shapeshifters out there. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> and um, something that really stood out to me is when when David finds the pendant mm-hmm. and says, when did the bird stop singing? Mm-hmm. That was so creepy <laughs> because I've had a moment like that. Yeah. When I was younger, I was walking my dog in a park and it, it was just a really weird experience. But I was like a crazy person. There was a fucking UFO or something. And me and my dog was my old German Shepherd Griffin. He was like the amazing dog mm-hmm. and so well behaved. And then we were walking up this hill in a park and he got really aggressive mm-hmm. and like started barking. And then he just stopped and was like staring up into the sky. And then everything went quiet. Like there was no birds anymore. There was no wind. Everything was dead silent. And then there was this thing floating like in the tree line. That's so fucked up. Yeah. And Griffin was like, I don't know. Like, like the fucking dogs in the hills have eyes and they just won't stop being crazy running around because mm-hmm. they're like something's wrong over here yeah that was like my dog yeah so it was the, when the birds when did the birds stop singing i was like oh god i had a feeling like that before and it's so creepy and noticeable because you just mm-hmm. immediately feel isolated because you don't have any of that background ambience anymore yeah and i also i threw that in there because like when something's not right in the woods like if the birds stop singing that's like actually an indication mm-hmm. that that they know as well as like other small animals to hide and so that's usually your cue like something's around like a predator's around and you better just hope it's like a badger or some shit and not and not like a wolf or something like that so anyway yeah so i threw that in there because it was creepy as shit i was like why wouldn't i do that that's what i mean when i say that we were transported because little details like that you just feel like you're there Mm mm-hmm and uh, the last little thing I wanted to talk about was I made some notes of things in your story that reminded me of uh, some of our episodes. Mm-hmm. So the first one, I was like, yo, this fucking forest, I don't know where it is. Obviously, somewhere in the deep south, judging by that preacher. <laughs> but it's like the Hoyabashi forest. Yeah. So fucking creepy in there with twisted trees and yep. just just obviously a place you don't want to be. Mm-hmm uh no thank you yeah and then i really appreciated the diet pass uh reference with the tent yeah I, what did you say like 
Well, that's bullshit. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, how the fuck are you supposed to tell when it was ripped? But I appreciated that. Yeah. And then I was reminded of Puckwidgee's, uh, one of the episodes that Paige did, with the, like, luring to the cliff edge. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's like a fucking asshole little Puckwidgee that would yeah. do that. Yep. And then... um. More, one of our more recent episodes, The Disappearance of Walter Collins and the Wineville Murders, mm-hmm. the evangelical radio preacher. Oh, yeah. He definitely wasn't as, like, doomsayer, <laughs> but that's what I was thinking of. And I also love that you added him into this because yeah. in a, like, creepy story, there's always a freaking, like, end times prophecy person doomsayer mm-hmm. yeah and i was like yeah that really ties it off and i was thinking about how we just watched the mist and there's that woman in there mm-hmm. she's so fucking annoying oh and God. and like that was probably what got me like onto that was we were watching the mist and i'm like well now i gotta throw some weird preacher person in here 100 <laughs> percent. i also wanted to spice it up a little bit for you in case you were like oh he's really monotone I decided that, all right, fine. Here's a little scene where I literally just break my voice because I can't fucking handle talking like this. But I, was, I did it for you. I was going to say, how do you feel? How's your throat? Because there's times when you're like, oh, I don't know if I could do it anymore. And you're like actually, swigging water. I actually had to stop because I, not like, oh, this hurts, but like actually had to stop because I, <laughs> it felt like I just smoked like a thousand cigarettes at once. I was like, oh. Like, I actually don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow with a voice. You're like, hey, good morning. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... What else? Oh I, was, oh, I was writing examples to myself of other doomsayers. I put The Mist, Crazy Ralph, Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy Ralph is from Friday the 13th. And in Skyrim, when you're in, like, uh, what's it fucking called? White Run? Yeah. In the town square, there's like this dude who's just fucking end time preaching away. Mm-hmm. And you're like, dude, I'm just trying to steal from these stalls. Can you please stop preaching over there? <laughs> <laughs> just trying to commit crime, if you don't mind. Uh Oh, yeah. About the preacher, I love how he always signs off with like, this is Jeremiah. Like, no one would know. That's my favorite. <laughs> and this is Jeremiah. It's like, J- Jer- Jerry. Can I call you Jerry? We know. <laughs> J.M. I'm call you JM. <laughs> <laughs> then I got total Campiro and Montauk project vibes when they come upon the old abandoned radio station. Yeah. And um, it made me think, because you said that he, like, he goes in there and there's nobody there, but it's on air. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to finish. No, I'm going to let you do it. Uh, it reminds me of the, the Russian radio station. Yeah. That no one claims to own. That's just the been numbers. Like... The numbers stations. They're yeah. called numbers stations because they would just read out numbers randomly. Yeah, and they would say weird words too. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like farming or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it reminded me of that one. That it's like what I don't know. The station's totally broadcasting, but we don't know who owns it. It's just <laughs> been going since the eighties. Yep. And. Then the last thing I was going to say is that uh, it's never fucking good if you're beckoned into the woods and you find one random cabin or building or something. You mm-hmm. know shit's going down because that's how Blair Witch got Heather and fucking motherfucking Mike yep. into that house. Yep. 
but the luring calls of Josh. Yeah. And I was like, oh. A hundred, a hundred percent when I was writing it, it was, I mean, when I was hearing it from a friend of a friend who told a friend <laughs> right, 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 who was right, right. there in Blackwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, he was like, it's oddly reminiscent of um, those, of, what? of the Blair Witch and also <laughs> of that story about uh, stairs in the woods. It, oh, you, yeah, yeah. And I was like, why is there just stairs like, in the woods? Yeah, that's so strange. It's weird that you, the story would be like that. <laughs> crazy story. There, you got to find something weird in the woods, right? There's got to be a place. Just, yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're in this, I don't know, it sounds like a national park-ish type deal. Like a, big, a national park. Then, like, there should not just be this creepy-ass radio station. Mm-hmm. So it's always creepy when something is in the woods or in nature that shouldn't be there when it just looks so out of place. You're, like, this ominous mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. And, um, yeah, anyway, those are, like, some of the things I was thinking, just where my mind was going while you were telling me. And um, I just thought you did a really good job. I mean, I thought your friend told you a really cool story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's not, like, a weird bug in a little maggot or anything like that. Like, No, no, it's not it's in not a like diner. A, yeah, it's not a freaky In a story. diner. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of freaky story. <laughs> I can't recall which insect told me this story. <laughs> It was really good, and I'm excited to listen to it again because now you're gonna go in there and you're gonna freaking spice it all up, dramatize it, zhush it, and zhush it. How do you think you spell zhush? Fucking no, I have no idea. Zhush. We will ask Google that soon (laughs) enough. So yeah, you're gonna zhush it up. You're gonna put some little sound effects in there, some Mm -hmm. ambiance. Mm And I'm going to listen to it again. Yeah. And I'm excited. Me too, because I'm going to sneak in some <laughs> music that's way too loud. Oh, God. For your voice, for like, for like my voice. But then it's going to change. It's going to be way too quiet, my voice too loud. And it's going to pump. It's, I'm going to be too loud, too quiet, too loud, too quiet. <laughs> too loud, too quiet. Too loud, too quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm sure that added 10 more <laughs> minutes of my editing. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, I don't. I yeah, but yeah, if anything else, I'm just proud of you. It was a really good story, and you Thank ended you. it really well. Mwah. Thanks. I was, I was really worried about the ending, how I would do it, but I'm happy with it. I liked it. It was like I wanted. It, it was to like, be a like a bittersweet a... thing because it's like, yeah. oh, what, David? Are you yeah. kidding? And then you're like, oh, but they almost sounded happy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And you can't have them survive and just be walking around right now. Then it's not a folklore, is it? not a spooky camp story it's a wait so was that was the other pendant his wife's pendant yeah okay okay yeah just, just yeah. making sure like, <laughs> wait a minute is this a time loop thing or some shit that's why that's why when he found the pendant <laughs> in the bush he checked his yeah yeah, yeah the pendant yeah. around his neck and he was like what the fuck okay, okay. yeah okay i just i just all right yeah all right Okay. Um, you want to wrap us up? I guess I do. How am I going to do that? <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, oh, I bet you're going to make a cool cover art for this. Sure as fuck will. So make sure you check out the cover art for this episode. Make sure. Uh, I mean, don't look at. Okay. You know what? Probably looking right at you. are like, I already am. I'm on my phone. I see the episode cover right here. <laughs> but like, you should look on Instagram too, because that's where we are. And, you know, you'll be like, cool. I love yeah. this. And you can follow us too. Mm-hmm. Dark Adaptation Podcast. And, oh, I just, all, all I really want to say here is just like, you've been here, you've been here a while, right? It's episode 60. That means you've heard Dyson's episode three times now. That's a lot. That's a lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. 
actually it's like 70 episodes really but who's mm-hmm. counting yeah um yeah just get, can you just leave us a little review a little five star review there it takes mm-hmm. like 44 and a half seconds to give us a five star huh, huh? Yeah. you gonna do it <laughs> thank you i have nothing else um okay great job dyson thank you and next okay now i'm not lying next week for real tim bosma and the, the Dellen millard debauchery Debauchery. I like that word. Is it debauchery? I don't know. <laughs> I like that word. Debauchery. 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 I'm gonna find out debauchery is also a word. I'm gonna be so upset. Debauchery. That sounds like I'm saying the bakery weird. It does. Debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. Okay, I'm done here. All right. Um catch us next next week i actually am going to cover tim bosma's murder and everything related to that debauchery i guess is the right word and yeah we'll uh, catch up next time bye-bye bye-bye